Welcome to Serenity is Addictive, where we explore the benefits of 12-step spirituality in depth. Let's get ready to dive in deep into this next episode. Welcome to the Serenity Centering Journey podcast. I'm Raphael, and I'm here with Catalina. And we're here today to do step one. We're going to go through all of the 12 steps. We already did an introduction, our last episode, episode zero. Today, we're going to talk about step one, and we're excited. We admitted we were powerless over blank, and our lives had become unmanageable. Let's break that down piece by piece. Let me repeat the first part again, especially focusing on the word blank. We admitted we were powerless over blank, and it could be anything. I like to say for myself, powerless over people, places, things, situations, results, really everything. In some ways, powerless over myself, and I'll get in a little bit about that, because that even the way I say that could be misleading. But I'm powerless, left to self, cut off from the power that is actually within me, a higher power that's not me on my own. It's a higher power or a God of my understanding, but I'm powerless when I'm cut off from that power because I've somehow blocked it out. And my life had become unmanageable. Um, I think it's important to say from the beginning that the word starts with we, we admitted. It's a we program, 12-step fellowships. It's not one person solving their own problems as a self-help guru uh, on their own. It's a we program. That, from the beginning, is something that's important for me to kind of identify and share about all the help I've received from different fellowships I've been involved in and different friends along the way. But, um, Catalina, what do you want to say about step one, just hearing it read out loud or what do you want to open with? Yeah, so just like to let it sink in. So the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So there's kind of two segments there. Um, you know, the admitting of powerlessness over something, in this case, it's talking about alcohol, and that the lives have become unmanageable, the second piece. Those those are two really big separate pieces, like the powerlessness over one specific thing versus my entire life is unmanageable. Those mm. are those are like two giant <laughs> steps apart from each other. Mm -hmm. So I think let's pause for a little bit and talk about the first part of that, mm -hmm. the admitted that we're powerless over something. And you mentioned, mm. you know, this is from, it comes from the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous program, which is obviously geared around alcoholism and the inability um, to drink like a normal person, I guess, normal and bunny and air bunny quotes or whatever. But you could replace that with anything, you know, and, and let's even dive in a little bit to what does it mean to say that we're powerless? Mm. What does it mean to admit something, you know? Mm. So I was just curious to kind of look at what are, these are words that we use every day, but they can have really different meanings. And so to admit, um, according to the Webster Dictionary, means to confess to be true 
or to be the case, typically with reluctance, mm -hmm. which is interesting to me that it even said that reluctance piece because I would never have associated that with mm -hmm. the word admitted. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, I guess if you use it in a sentence, it could very well mean that you're doing something, you're admitting, you're, you're acquiescing to something without necessarily, it's not what you want, you know? And I think right. that if we're talking about um, a substance um, or a situation or a person or place or a thing that we have powerlessness over admitting, and by the way, powerless, I also looked up and it said devoid of strength or resource, lacking the authority or capacity to act. And so, I mean, I don't think anything too shocking there. We all agree what powerlessness is. But so we're basically saying that there's something in our life that we're confessing that we are devoid of strength or resources and lacking the authority or capacity to act with reluctance. Right. No, that's really good. And, you know, it's interesting because in a lot of the programs, they say you don't really come into a 12-step program if you're knocking everything out of the park and, like, you know, killing everything and doing extremely well in every area of your life, on the one hand. On the other hand, a lot of spiritual giants kind of say just part of the human condition means that we are powerless over certain things. And to discover and admit that powerlessness is the beginning, uh, the proper beginning of a spiritual journey. So I think that that's really interesting, but it's a really, it's a dagger to my ego and to my pride, which some semblance of self-respect, you want to feel powerful or that you have power over things. And it's kind of scary to admit that you can't solve something with your willpower. I know one thing about myself I have willpower galore, you know, willpower, iron, steel, you know, if I need to do something, if I put everything to it, I'm going to do it. But, you know, with certain addictions or certain things, no matter how much I try, right, I can't control this and I can experience a powerlessness over some things that I can't control. And that could be alcohol, that could be lust, it could be sex, it could be food, it could be gambling, it could be other drugs. It could be my emotions. It could be this. It could be that. There's all these things. If you talked to me a while back, if I was powerless, I would tell you, no, I'm not powerless over anything. <laughs> and part of that was because of my ego, pretending to be more strong than I really was. I wore a mask. Um, and part of that's a self-defense mechanism. I didn't want to appear weak. I don't want to appear vulnerable because the world is a scary place. So this admission of powerlessness is a dagger to the ego. And it's a precursor to getting the gifts from steps two through 12. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit more. Anything you want to share more on that, Catalina? Well, so I'd like our listeners to pause for just a minute and think about their lives. Mm -hmm. And what in your life do you feel is out of your control? What do you feel that you're not able to control? You know, and, and it could be as simple as... Um, you know, I can't control the weather, right? We're powerless mm. over the weather. We're powerless over whether the sun comes up tomorrow. Um, you know, we're powerless over the mood of our spouse when we wake up in the morning. We're powerless over, you know, um, if someone dies today. Mm. And so these are just examples in everyday life that 
this is what powerless means. Powerless means that you can't, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. You know, mm. it's it's something that's out of your control, and that's that's where this um, level of insanity, which is what we affectionately call this frantic, stressed out feeling of trying to fix something that you are powerless over, um, becomes. Mm that's where this comes in and that's where alcoholics talk about how they are powerless over alcohol because it seems really silly to an average person that you can't control whether you have one drink of alcohol or two or three or 10 or mm -hmm. 20 or mm -hmm. blackout, you know, and not remember the night before. Right. It's a, it feels like a conscious decision. Right. And so it's hard to relate sometimes, but there are a lot of things in our everyday life that we're powerless over. And that's not really the problem in and of itself mm -hmm. that we're powerless over some things. I think mm -hmm. every person, no matter how maybe narcissistic and controlling they might be, can admit that there are some things that are out of their control. What's interesting is when we start thinking about little situations in our own life where we are powerless over, mm -hmm. we don't think that we're powerless over. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where that insanity comes in mm -hmm. of where we start, we do all this activity, this frenzy of activity mentally and physically to try to control this thing that we can't control. And mm. these are the things, if you think about your own life right now, these are the themes that come up all the time come up consistently in your life they never go away these are the things that you've tried lots of solutions you've changed lots of things trying to make the um end product that you wish would happen happen and it doesn't work and these are the things that you might be looking at powerlessness in your life mm. you know one of the things that i can admit that has nothing to do with an addiction is powerlessness over my family you know i have very different um belief systems than my family. I have very different ways of living than my family. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of friction there as mm. far different, different system, especially when it's related to like religion and stuff. And my family is very much, there's one right way for things, you know, to do things. And I'm kind of not necessarily in that camp. And so, um, I tried for a really long time to convince my family otherwise. Mm. You know, I felt like it was my job. I needed to convince them. And the reality is that I'm powerless over what they believe. I can mm. explain my peace to them, mm. but I can't make them believe what I want them to believe. Mm. They, have to, they have the freedom to believe what they want, even if I had a gun against their head and told them they need to believe what I, maybe they'll say they believe what they want to believe, but the reality is I am absolutely powerless over what they believe in their own minds. Mm. That's just an example of powerlessness in, in the normal world that has nothing to do with addiction to alcohol. Can you think of any examples in your life where you've experienced powerlessness? Oh my gosh. Um, it's cool that I can admit that now today because, as I said years ago, I would never want to admit any weakness, any era of powerlessness. I mean, I kind of grew up that macho... You have to be strong. If they detect you're weak, they're going to trample all over you. So, but ton of areas I'm powerless over. You mentioned some things. Same for me. I have, you know, family members and they have strong personalities, different ideas. And growing up, I think in some ways I wanted to be a rescuer and a savior. 
and I wanted to fix everyone. Um, and trying to fix them was exhausting. And I realized I can't fix anybody. You know, I had a mentor uh, tell me, you know, pray to your higher power to love and accept everyone, including yourself, exactly the way they are. Um, because that's how your higher power loves them. And that's how your higher power loves you. You know, learn to love and accept people and yourself exactly the way they are, not the way you think they should be. Um, that was a very liberating and it's a powerful prayer that still pays a lot of dividends today. One thing I want to add is every one of these steps builds upon another. So today we're talking about step one. When we get to step two, we'll be talking about step one again, step one and two. When we get to step three, we'll be talking about step one, two, and three. They all build on each other. One thing I will say, and I've said this before, if it was just a step one program, it's probably the most miserable fate you could give to a human being, right? Saying that I'm totally powerless and that my life is unmanageable, I mean, that's pretty bad. The good news, and give you a little commercial hint at what's coming, is, you know, because when you think about I'm powerless, some people say, like, that just sounds like weakness. I'll never admit to that. That's not true. I'm not totally powerless. And you're right. You're not totally powerless over everything. We're never powerless over our part. And powerlessness does not mean helplessness. And, like, people say in alcohol, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm powerless over alcohol, but I'm not powerless over taking program actions. I'm not powerless over trying different things. I'm not powerless over having an open mind. So there's a lot of things we still have power over. It's really figuring out, not wasting energy on the things we are powerless over and taking that energy and strength and applying it to things we do have power over. Now, when we get to step two, we get the power. We learn how to get the power we don't have. So we trade our little power and our powerlessness. We get that great power, our higher power, that spirituality to come in and do for us all these things we were trying to do on our own, uh, to do things differently. And we find we, we get the power back, but it's a bigger power than we ever thought we could have. And maybe I'm jumping ahead a little too much. But yes, to answer your question, Catalina, many, many things I'm powerless over. As I said in the beginning, people, places, things, situations, results, outcomes. I used to think I control a lot of things and it caused me a lot of stress and anxiety, uh, you know, to have that. Also, I would say like the seven deadly sins, you know, need lust, both, uh, uh, you know, to myself without the spiritual solution, I could get powerless over any one of those things can take me under. Uh, your thoughts? I think that part of my step one was, um, you know, really being nervous about this whole concept of powerlessness. You know, I, I had this idea that I was somehow clinging to holding things together in whatever form they were. Um, and, um, it, I had to come to the point where it was a delusion that that was the case, that I was holding anything together. Mm -hmm. And that, I think the powerlessness is it's, it's coming to grips with the reality that you can't fix something you've been desperately trying to fix. And I'm not talking about necessarily fixing a car or something physical, but, you know, wanting to really a lot of it is about wanting to change someone or something 
some event in life that you can't change. Like I could say that you're powerless over the past. Right. You can't. There's not a human being that exists on this planet. Mm-hmm. Go back in time and change the past. Right. But powerless doesn't affect that you are a victim or that you're right. a wimp or that right. you're just this object that these things happen to. And you just have to accept, you know, it, it's interesting because I think that there's a fear that the admission of powerlessness feels hopeless. Mm. It's actually the opposite. I would say thinking that you're powerful when you are not is hopeless Mm. because you're basically a hamster running in a wheel and you're never getting anywhere, but yet you're expending extraordinary amounts of energy trying to get somewhere desperately, but you're not Mm. getting anywhere. And so I would say, you know, that's something that was hard for me is this concept of powerless. Also, does that mean I don't care? Does that mean I just, you know, again, I'm just kind of this, um, you know, apathetic person who goes through life. And Mm. I mean that either really, you know, the powerless is really, um, admitting the truth of today that, you know, you, you've been trying to control something that you have no real control over, you Mm. know, and really good exercise that I actually use pretty regularly, even at my work is, um, you know, basically drawing two, two, uh, you can either do two, a circle on a page, or you can do like a big circle, or you can even, sometimes I just do a line through the middle of the page. And on one side, I write down what is in my control that's going on in that moment and what's out of my control in that moment. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. I even just do a brain dump. Mm -hmm. I don't divide anything. I just do a brain dump. And then I literally write down everything that's bothering me in the moment, everything I'm concerned about, everything I'm worried about, everything, whatever's going on in my brain that just seems to be fogging my ability to concentrate. Mm. And I take things and I write next on that page, like the stuff on, you know, one side of the line is going to be the stuff I'm actually truly in control of. And I can actually impact and affect Mm. things that I'm not in control of. And it's so interesting because so often I find that there's so much more of the stuff that I am obsessed about is stuff that I can't control versus focusing my energy on the things I can control. And that's, that's a big part of why this, this step is freeing and why this concept is freeing is because when you take out of your plate all the stuff that you've been obsessing about that you have no control over, that you've been hamster wheeling and just wasting energy on, you can take all that energy and put it mm. towards the stuff that's mm. actually in your control. Mm. I, I know in the beginning it's hard to separate because you feel like everything sometimes is your responsibility, especially if you're a parent you know, or things like that, you can feel like everything is your responsibility. And so at what, what part isn't yours and what is, you know? So I think doing some exercises of really thinking about, you know, diving into some of the things that are bothering you in the moment and really thinking about, okay, you're really upset about your boss and, and how he thought about you did about this project and he wasn't happy with your output. Like, okay, what's your part in that? Mm. Say what your boss thinks of you is not something you can control. Mm -hmm. You can do actions to try to show those qualities that you want your boss to see. Mm -hmm. But as far as making him think one way or another about you, you have no power to do that. You could be the perfect employee and your boss could still see lacking in you. Or you could be the opposite. You know, you could be a terrible employee, but your boss thinks you're great. You know, so I just think it's an example of one thing that, yeah. No, it's a good example. You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, we didn't really, I don't know if we covered hitting bottoms. You know, sometimes like when you go to AA, for instance, 
and people still drink, they haven't really hit their step one because they haven't hit their bottom. There's usually a problem with step one. Either you don't think you're powerless over the addiction or some, some certain element or you, and you don't think you're, you're unmanageable. I know for myself in some certain addictions that I had in the beginning, I could admit to the first part of step one. I could say, you know what? I do have a problem with this. I am powerless over this, but my, my life is unmanageable. No friggin' way. I got it very well together. Matter of fact, I should be helping people. You know, I just have this problem with this little thing. I, that was delusion, you know, because I was in denial. I didn't see. I could not see. You can't see until you can see. I could not see how much it was destroying me. So I suffered. I had a hard time getting sober in that program until I had more pain. And if you really have an addiction, you're going to experience more and more pain. The interesting thing about the history of AA is in the beginning, many of its members were really low-bottom drunks. Uh, but what they discovered over the years is that many people could come in before it got really, really bad. And that's beautiful hopefulness, right? You don't have to get to devastating degrees where you lose your wife, your your spouse, your your children, divorce, you know, you're you're in a homeless shelter. It doesn't have to get that bad. And that's the wish is to have the highest bottoms possible. There are other spiritual giants who say, you know, the twelve steps can be used for everyone and it can actually as a defense if we can accept our powerlessness as human beings like Catalina was mentioning like the past and your family and things we're not control over if we can get this healthy system and kind of live by some of these principles it can benefit us and save us from ever having to go to these terrible bottoms it's really interesting uh one of the things i wanted to mention from a Christian tradition, you know, Romans 7.18 from the Bible, you heard about Paul, or some people will call him St. Paul, but the writer Paul. And here's a guy who was a Christian persecutor and, uh, you know, a murderer. And then he has this conversion experience and he becomes this Christian for Christianity. Now, I'm not trying to teach a Christian lesson, but one of the things Paul said in his honesty, he said, I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. The good I want to do, I cannot do. The evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. He admits his powerlessness. Uh, something, uh, anything you want to start us off with on that part, our lives had become unmanageable. Well, well. so the definition, unsurprisingly, of unmanageable is difficult or impossible to control. And I think that part of what we're talking about in powerless is the unmanageability. I think, um, so as you go through life and you have a situation that is uncontrollable, that you're powerless over, but you've been trying desperately to control and it starts taking, you know, we mentioned that you are start spending all this energy on this thing that you can't control while you only have so much energy every day. Mm -hmm. Like you, it's a finite amount of time, a finite mm -hmm. amount of energy. We're not energizer bunnies that just have endless amounts so basically you're taking a lot of the energy that you could be putting towards normal healthy activities like exercising mm -hmm. meditating eating healthy um planning fun events for you and your loved ones um spending time with your dog walking like hobbies that are healthy that actually mm. give back to you mm. typically what happens is you stop doing those mm. 
and replace them because you're obsessing over this thing. You're trying mm-hmm. to fix it. You're thinking about it. You're scheming. You're talking to the person. You're mm-hmm. acting as a, an emotional garbage dump or you're taking on other people's stuff. And it just totally drains your energy. And so what happens is that process causes your life to be unmanageable. And I think that, um, you know, it's kind of like if a hamster on that wheel, if we, we take that analogy... And the hamster is obsessed with running on this wheel. And it literally Mm. doesn't eat. It doesn't sleep. It doesn't go to the bathroom. It does nothing else besides run on this hamster wheel. And even, like, just that's all it does. Eventually, that hamster is going to die. Not just because of exhaustion, but because it's actually depraving itself of the other really important things that it needs to live. And if every hamster did that, the hamster race would Mm. end because they would never reproduce. And so that is the unmanageability that we're talking about here is that by obsessing and trying to be powerful over something you're powerless over, it actually infects the rest of areas of your life. And that is the unmanageability of you suddenly are overweight or you have no relationships or you don't have fun. You just feel miserable with life or, you know, their house is a disaster. Your job is failing. All this stuff happens because you're spending all of this time and energy toward these thing or things that you're powerless over instead of those things that you do have power over. And so your life becomes this just like just this crazy chaotic situation. Mm, that's a beautiful illustration and point, Catalina, because you remind me, you know, where is the drug? Like, so anything that you're doing that is taking you away from the best experience and a healthy way to live your life can become problematic. Um, You know, you think about workaholism. So underneath workaholism many times is an insecurity or a fear, right, that I'm not good enough or this compulsion to to work because I, I can't not work. I can't be moving around 100 miles an hour all the time because I don't want to face, I don't want to be a human being. I want to be a human doing because I can't handle what, what it looks like to look inside or I can't, I, I'm not able to. I, I can't handle my emotions. I can't process my emotions. I can't process my fears. I don't know how to handle these things. So I numb out with work, with sex, with lust, with porn, with alcohol, with drugs, with cocaine, with partying, with trying to control another person, codependency. I do these things to numb me out and it's killing me and I might be in denial with that. But recognizing it, you know, you remind me of the three A's, awareness, acceptance, action. So first we got to get the awareness that we have this problem um, and that it's killing us and uh, it's making our lives unmanageable. Um, and to admit that, you know, that that admission is the key to getting the strength that we need and to having an open mind. You think of the that analogy or that slogan, the person who does the same thing over and over again and expects different results is a lunatic And so it's really getting honest with oneself, like my ways are not working and it takes time. It took me a lot of time and I try to fix things my own way and that caused me problems like really getting humble myself and really admitting to step one and saying like my way is not working. I want to hear a different way. I need somebody else who's been like if you think about a sponsor and step one, I'm saying, look, who can relate to me who's had this pain that I've had 
who's felt this sadness that I feel, who has experienced this powerlessness and unmanageability, who's come out of it and can live to talk about it. You know, we'll get to the promises, uh, there's 12 promises with 12-step programs, and each of them have their own unique promises, but AA has their core ones. Um, you know, there's, there's a problem and there's a solution. So, yeah. Um, Catalina? Well, and I think you touched on something that we hadn't really talked about on this podcast, but we had talked about amongst ourselves, which is part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast is Mm. that we are obviously, if you hadn't already guessed, involved in multiple 12-step programs. (laughs) It's been a huge part of our life for probably the past decade minimum. Um, And we've just found so many benefits from it, not just only with maybe the specific area that we went to a program for, but also um, in other areas of our life. I mean, what we realized is that Mm. our parents and our family did the best job that they could with raising us, but they're humans and they Mm -hmm. have their own issues. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. come to realize my parents are both what you would call adult children of alcoholics, which means they were Mm. raised in a very toxic alcoholic environment. And so they don't have alcoholism they're not drinking but a lot of the really dysfunctional behaviors that they um that an alcoholic would have they inherited that Mm. and so um there's just a lot a lot of depth but part of what we talked about and why we felt so strongly about doing a podcast where we really talk about the 12 steps in kind of a normal environment so to speak versus for a specific addiction that maybe a lot of people would think makes sense to go to a 12-step program is that um, there's a lot of areas where the 12 steps can help with and it's not necessarily considered an addiction because it kind of just helps you to live in the world live live life on life's terms and do it really happily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing is that there are a lot of areas in life that maybe there's not a specific 12-step program for but there's a lot of there's an addiction to it mm-hmm. you know and I think in my own life I've discovered things like an addiction to worrying or an addiction mm. to fear I mean that's a big one for me and I, I started to realize that it was an addiction meaning that It was something my mind automatically went to um, without my consent, so to speak. I didn't try to go there, Mm. but I would do it a lot. And I would notice it would really throw me off um, Mm. mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for a period of time, which is kind of what you call a uh, hangover period. Like Mm. after you've had a binge with alcohol, you would have a period of recovery where you are, you know, your body and your mind are trying to recover from what you did to it. And so you're hungover and you don't feel good and you just, you're not actually actively drinking in that moment, but you feel like shit. And so I noticed that I started to feel that way with worrying and stressing and and it had to do with, you know, I also found the same thing with um, social media. Mm. Facebook specifically was Mm. a big one for me where I would literally be having the best day. I'd feel great about myself. I'd feel great about my life. And I would go on um, Facebook and I would look at friends' lives and what they're doing. Because, I mean, that's pretty much all you do. You go on there and you look at everybody (laughs) else's life. And I, every time that I would do that, I would, like, stop my Facebook session feeling like crap. Feeling insecure. Feeling that my life wasn't good enough. Taking me away from an attitude of gratitude. And so, um, you know, these are just a couple examples of areas where I'm not saying I was necessarily compulsively sitting up at three o'clock in the morning looking at Facebook, right? (laughs) Although I'm sure there are people who do that. But I noticed that there was a change in 
my spiritual barometer and my mental barometer, my mental well-being when I would do these things. Mm. And so I realized there was something. It doesn't always mean that that object is bad, right? Like right. even you could say alcohol. I don't think alcohol is bad. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. But you can abuse anything. And right. so it doesn't necessarily need to be like crystal meth mm. or, you know, something that inherently is probably just not good. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Anything in excess is not good. And I would say that depending upon your growing up, your personal experiences as both a child and an adult, you have to start learning what your triggers are. And so that's a big part for me is, again, I wasn't sitting, you know, three o'clock in the morning looking at Facebook like it wasn't a compulsion that way. But I realized that when I would go online, it would trigger something in me that made me feel insecure about my life. It would take me out of this happy space that I was in, um, which really was um, paralyzing for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have creativity. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, you know, do my work. I couldn't focus on my husband. I couldn't focus on my dogs. I couldn't. I didn't feel like working out. I didn't feel like eating healthy. Like all those feelings that come with that negativity and they Mm. affect my life and they really were paralyzing for me for a a short period of time to do what I needed to do to take care of myself and so I had to evaluate is this thing worth it in my life Mm. and so um anyways my whole point to that is that there are lots and lots of things in our life that are either unhealthy for maybe everyone or unhealthy for a certain person because of their experience in life Um, Or maybe it's the frequency, maybe it's, you know, there's a million different things, but I I think that the point is there's a lot of different things in people's lives today that are, um, that can be toxic and can be harmful to you and to your well-being. And so we have found personally a path to recovery from all of those things Mm. through the 12 steps. And Mm -hmm. so that's where we're talking about the 12 steps and why we're starting with step one is that, that, um, you know, there's there's so much richness in there, but it's not. It's kind of gotten this bad rap where it's just for people who are addicts. Mm-hmm. And I would say that probably ninety percent of humanity is addicted to something. Um, it's really whether you're, you know, you want to get rid of that something or you want to get healing from that something. That's a great point, Catalina. You know, it's interesting because I think about it. If in spiritual traditions you talk about surrender. You know, think about surrendering. You're putting down your guns. You're letting go. Let go and let God. You've heard of that slogan. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But surrender. I used to like and be fascinated by that word surrender. But yet everything in me kept me unable to surrender. It was all the pain, the fears, the anxiety, the insecurity, the toxic shame. I was I was very hard on myself. The perfectionism. Um, all these things prevented me from truly letting go because if I let go, what's going to happen? I was unable to trust even though I liked the idea of it. The step one, you know, feeling the powerlessness and unmanageability from my bottoms forced me to surrender and let go so I can experience all the benefits and letting go and surrender is beautiful. One thing I wanted to talk about is in AA, they have three parts of of an addiction. So, They say you have a mental obsession, number one, you have a physical allergy, and then you have a spiritual malady. So there's three parts to it. But in other programs, you can have an allergic reaction to other things. It doesn't have to be alcohol. But I think you can still have the mental obsession and the spiritual malady, 
like something's wrong spiritually, this blockage, there's something that's harming you. Um, the other thing I wanted to do, Catalina, was just talk about, you know, the different parts of step ones from different programs and talk about some of the many programs. I think we looked up, I think we saw at one place there was over 200 programs. I think I heard more that there could be in the thousands of different 12-step programs that have originated from the 12 steps of AA. But, you know, AA step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. I saw a Christian one the other day that said, we admitted we were powerless over the effects of our separation from God, that our lives had become unmanageable. Uh, Catalina mentioned the ACA uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics. That's a group that originated from Al-Anon. Um, and theirs is, we admitted that we were powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunctions that our lives had become unmanageable. You got Emotions Anonymous, which I believe is we were powerless over our emotions. You got Artists Anonymous, which is really interesting because they say we're not powerless over an addiction. We're powerless over something positive, but we can't control it. It's like a there is a, a muse or there is a, a flow or there's a creative spark. So they say we admitted we were powerless over our creativity, that our lives had become unmanageable. You got workaholism, you know, they say they're powerless over compulsive working. You got food addiction, where they say they're powerless over compulsive eating. Um, you got all these sorts of things. Um, Al-Anon uses the same as AA, but, but a whole different way, right? They're powerless over the alcohol, but not in the way the, the alcoholic is in Al-Anon, unless they are both an alcoholic and an Al-Anon, but they're powerless over the effects of alcoholism and over their, their person that they love who's an alcoholic. They can't control it, as Catalina mentioned, the three C's, right? I can't, what is it, Catalina? Three C's, hit us with it. Can't, didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. Exactly. Um, so there's many different things, um, you know, so all these groups. And if you're looking for resources, you know, you can find the 12 and 12, the uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous for free on there. You know, just Google that and you'll find many different websites. And I think AA's central site has that for free, both in audio and you can get the PDF or you can just find it online. And you can find the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And some people will just change the word alcohol to, you know, stressing out about my family member. You know, this codependency anonymous um you know there's all these sorts of, of programs um anything else you want to say on any of that Catalina? um or anything else yeah i just thought about you know a couple of things that came to mind while you were talking is you know step one is really a call to honesty mm. it's, to, it's asking you to be honest with yourself with where you are so what are those things that you've been hamster wheeling in your life that you feel exhausted you feel exhausted about. What's hamster wheeling? That's a, a interesting term. So a hamster on the wheel, just yeah. like running and running and running and running on this wheel, and you're not going anywhere. Right. But it's you're getting more tired, but you're right. not achieving any results. And so what are those things in your life where you feel you're like hamster wheeling, where you right. feel you've been putting tons of energy, and you can't for the life of you understand why it's not working? And it could be a relationship. It could be a situation at work. It could be... It could be a health situation. Right. I mean, what is something in your life that you are desperately trying to control? I mean, I know for me, a big one that comes up relatively often is, you know, the desire to have kids. We've been trying for, mm. you know, years and haven't been able to have any children. 
And that's definitely something that I cannot control. That is so powerless in that situation. And it is really, really hard to practice acceptance, which we'll get to later. But even just admitting, Mm. I'm really sad this hasn't worked out. Right. This is really sad to me because this is something I've wanted for my whole life. Mm. And I'm scared also of what ifs which is all another piece of what if it never happens. So right. part of it is that I'm sad it hasn't happened yet, and then I'm scared it won't happen. That's a hamster wheel situation for me right. that I have to be really careful of because right. that is there and it's not going anywhere. Right. And that's the other thing. You can't always control whether those situations are even in your life. There are some situations, like if you have a unhealthy relationship with a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something, you can end that relationship. You can mm-hmm. remove that situation from your life. But in some cases, you can't. Some cases, especially if it's like health related, it follows you. You can't, you can't get rid of that. And you can do your part, but you can't make that situation go away. And so it's not even just admitting powerless once. Sometimes it's over and over and over mm. <laughs> admitting powerlessness when that thing comes up. But so, you know, it's, it's where are you now? What are those things that are in your life? And really asking you to be honest with yourself. Just yourself. Like, what are those things? If you were to make a list, what are the things that just keep you up at night, that keep you from feeling totally relaxed and at peace with your life? Mm. What are those things? Mm. And that it's okay to start where you are. So there's also no shame. Whatever those situations are, everybody has them. I've not talked to a single person on this planet who doesn't have at least something in their life. And that's just what they're willing to admit to me. I'm sure there's a lot more going on personally, but there's no shame in admitting that you're there. Right. This is where you are. It's okay. That's step one is literally start where you are. Right. Not get things better and then start like be exactly where you are. Right. You bring up a, a also really interesting points and you mentioned this before, Catalina, but we wanted to start this because the spirituality of the twelve steps is so powerful and profound and it can help so many people way more than just an alcoholic or a cocaine addict or a heroin addict or, you know, sexaholic, whatever it happens to be, it's so much more. So one of the things we wanted to do as we go through these steps and we go beyond, I mean, we have planned to touch on the slogans, to touch on all the tools from all the different programs that we've been familiar with and more to talk about how it can help other people. Um, You know, it's just powerful to kind of think about that. And you bring up something, you mentioned, you know, being powerless over not being able to have children. That's something we're powerless over. But what's interesting there, and wanted to point out, it doesn't mean we're powerless over the end result, but it doesn't mean we just sit down. Like There's two extremes, right? One is I say, like, I'm powerless. God's going to do everything. I'm not going to do nothing. Like, that's not what we're talking about. There's actually a line in one of the programs that says, without my higher power, I can't. Without me and my cooperation, my higher power won't. So we always have a part. And even coming into us not being able to have children, we've done our part. We've seen, you know, doctors, we've tried different diets, we've tried acupuncture. So I want to be clear to our audience that it's not like (laughs) we're just absolving ourselves from personal responsibility. Not at all. Uh, We have to do our part. And but we have to let go of the outcomes. We do what we can and then we accept the results Um, instead of trying to control everything, trusting that everything kind of happens for a reason and everything will work out no matter what. Uh, Anything you want to say more on that, Kelly? Well, 
So I agree with you, but I would say we're at step one. And so those are getting into more steps. So yes, to our audience, if you're only listening to this episode, I really strongly encourage you to listen to some of the others because this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the beginning. Oh, totally. And so, yes, this is not where we stay, but this is where we start. Yeah. Step one is tough. Um, But, and, and as I said before, if it was only a step one program, it's a miserable thing. But step one opens you to receive all the gifts, and they are gifts, and they are amazing benefits from step two through 12, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself. One of the things I wanted to jump to, Catalina, is just kind of going through the 12 and 12 of AA and just kind of mentioning a couple of things from there. Um, One of the lines is, who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness It's truly awful to admit that we have warped our minds into such an obsession for whatever the addiction is that only an act of providence can remove it from us. No other kind of bankruptcy is like this one. Sometimes an AA will say they haven't hit their bottom yet. They're not ready. They need a little bit more pain. They need to do a little bit of research and development. You know, that's the other thing. But I would say, like, should you not come or should you not learn and explore this? No. Even if you haven't hit your bottom, you can still get benefits. Matter of fact, one of the addictions I had, I struggled really hard with that addiction. And it took me like four years, four months, and I couldn't quite get it. And now in that particular program, I'm coming up on eight years sober. But for the first four years, four months, I'd get a few days, then I would mess up, then I had a few. Like it was really difficult, but it wasn't like it wasn't working for me. It was. It just takes the time it takes. So not being so black and white with it. Um, you know, thinking of entering a, a 12-step program, you know, feel free to explore. You got nothing to lose. And there's so much free literature out there, you know, that it's extremely helpful. Um, one of the other lines says, upon entering a program, we take quite another view of this absolute humiliation we perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps toward liberation and strength. Our admission of personal powerlessness finally turns out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. Uh, Catalina, passing the mic to you. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not true. Is it? <laughs> it is true. <laughs> um, the other well, something that popped in my head that you had said earlier was just um, that you you were talking about you know powerlessness over um, God or my relationship with God or something like that. You said, and I just wanted to mention that I you know there's a lot of people that I know kind of back to wanting more out of life, wanting to feel happy, wanting to feel, wanting to be able to sit by myself without any electronic device on or anybody around me and be completely at peace. Mm. And that was something that I don't know if I ever had before the 12 steps, to be honest with you. Not like I was some raving mad person, but I (laughs) I think the reality of like just being able to really be at peace. Something else was, you know, I was born and raised, um, you know, to believe in Christ and to have a, you know, spirituality and, um, or religion anyways. And, um, I don't know if I ever felt at peace with my relationship with God before the 12 steps. I I think that there's a lot of 
I don't know. There was a lot of, um, I felt like he, I don't know. I didn't meet it at his expectations or just, there was, there was definitely stuff there mm. that needed to be worked on. And I can say through the 12 steps, I feel like I've been able to remove, oh, you were talking about the, the baggage or the, the blockage that mm. happens. And I know that I felt that. I didn't know that I felt that. Mm. And I think it's confusing because sometimes really well-meaning people will tell you, oh, it's just the, I don't know, the dark night of the soul or it's just the trial period and you need to get through, which I'm not saying there's not some truth to that. But I also, I think in my own case, realized that, no, there was blockage there that was causing problems that was making it really hard for me to connect with God um, because I wasn't able to receive from him. You know, it's like a channel that I had stuff blocking things. And so, you know, it's interesting because I have had several conversations with, um, you know, friends who have spirituality and I've heard people say they feel really cold with their relationship with God. It feels very one-sided. Mm. It's very, you know, mm. and so it's, I don't think that it's just me. Um, I think that there's, there's people who are seeking more out of their relationship with God. And it's kind of like, there's all these promises, whether you read the Bible or you subscribe to a specific religion, there's these promises of what this should bring, what, mm -hmm. what faith in God should bring mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And I know, I don't know if a lot of people feel those benefits. And, and I mm. feel personally that this 12 steps and working the 12 steps and the insights that I've gotten from that mm. and the work that I've been able to do with like resentments and, you know, personal things that just disrupted my peace has really helped me to have that closer relationship. And it's not that it changed my view of religion or it made me not like my religion. Mm. I, I kind of describe it like my religion was the bones, but the 12 steps really gave like the flesh and the color and it gave all the, all that part that, that feels there. So, you know, it's kind of like it, it just felt very cold mm. without um, all of that. And so anyways, that was something I wanted to mention. No, I'm glad you brought up that. Um, you know, there's a payoff. That's a key point. And even though we're at step one, it can be scary, but there's an amazing payoff. And if you look at the promises of step nine from uh, AA, which Al-Anon has a, a set of promises, ACA has a set of promises, Workaholics Anonymous has a set of promises. Um, you know, most of these uh, have their own set and they all include each other in many ways as well. But the AA ones apply to any addiction. You know, they're very beautiful. And I think having, you know, the ultimate goal is to be more happy, joyous, and free. To have a life beyond your wildest imagination. To live your best life. To be free. You mentioned blockage. And I love that you brought that up again, even though I think I mentioned it first. But you, you I want to elaborate on that and just share about my own. You know, there's a line in the big book that says resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics or addicts um, than anything else. And it blocks off the sunlight of God's spirit, the very sunlight and grace that we need to remain sober, happy, joyous, and free. So this grace that is freely given from our higher powers that's in the universe, there's things that, that I can do or have without me knowing it that can block me from that grace. Resentment is a huge one, right? Fears can be a huge one insecurity, shame, toxic shame, believing lies about myself, being really hard on myself, toxic judgments to myself and others. You think of the word ego, there's an acronym edging God out. 
So I'm pushing God out with all this blockage, um, you know, stinking thinking, black and white thinking, uh, analysis paralysis, uh, fortune teller thinking, thinking I can predict, predictive thinking, you know, all, um, shoulda, woulda, coulda thinking. All these type of mental blocks can push God out. And by recognizing it, going back to the three A's, becoming aware of it, accepting that gently, and then working on a contrary action. So something different. And, and I don't want to jump ahead, but the point is surrender to have that firm bedrock. The foundation is, is step one, but step one opens you up to all the other gifts of step two through 12 and beyond. And, and I'm sure we'll be talking more about that. Anything else you want to add to this, uh, Catalina? I think we had a really good discussion about step one. It's impossible to discuss everything. And as I said, when we get to two through 12, we'll build on each other. So when we do two, it'll be one and two. When we do three, it'll be one, two, and three. When we do four, it'll be one, two, three, four, and et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to 12. Step one has to stay there. Because as soon as I think I know everything and I have the power of everything, I think I'm Superman, I could start losing some of these gifts. Um, Anyways, Catalina, anything? Yeah, I just want to end it with a quote from um, uh, How Al-Anon Works, which is one of the Al-Anon 12-step books that I just love. And it basically says step one is about we let go of the illusion that kept us imprisoned in an endless cycle of repetitious, self-defeating behavior and inevitable disappointment. And Mm. really that's what step one is about, Mm. is the start of that process. Can you read that again, slowly? That's really powerful. We let go of the illusion that kept us imprisoned in an endless cycle of repetitious, self-defeating behavior and inevitable inevitable disappointment. Wow, it's a powerful quote. It is. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, so I, I just think that's where, that's what, if you're interested in that, in any part of your life, I would suggest listening to um, the rest of the episodes, at least for the 12 steps, because I think that you are at least have something that you can take away from it. And um, we appreciate you listening. Yeah, I want to close with, uh, there's an AA prayer that if you get into AA literature and you hear about the history of Bill Wilson, who's the founder of AA. I know I mentioned this in the introduction, but when he was in a hospital, he said something to a doctor and they turned it into a step one prayer. So there's a, something called the doctor's opinion. And in that doctor's opinion, there's one section where Bill Wilson says to the doctor, like, doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. You must help me. And so the they turned it into a step one prayer, but not to the doctor. You're saying it to God or your higher power. And it's God, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop these things that are hurting me, harming me, but I cannot. You must help me. Please help me, God. Please help me, higher power. And it's a beautiful prayer because it's a prayer of admitting, I like the positiveness. I have everything to live for. In other words, life is good. You're seeing the the beauty, but, but this thing that's killing me is preventing me from experiencing this beauty and I can't control it. Like just being honest, like I can't stop these things. Like someone, if someone told me back then, just stop resenting, Mm -hmm. just stop fearing, just stop, you know, analyzing, just stop trying to be a perfectionist, just stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I tried really, really hard. I couldn't. And I love the prayer. Uh, I cannot go on like this. 
right? It's driving me crazy. I must stop, but I cannot. I have everything to live for. You must help me. Please help me. And I think that is a great place to stop. I'm excited to get into step two in our next episode, one step and one episode at a time. And we're going to build on step one, step two, step three, and talk about how they go together. Because step one, there's a loss of the power, this higher power, but step two means there is that power. So I've lost the power somehow, but I can get it back and it wants to find me and I can cooperate and partner with that power to do beautiful, amazing things. So stay tuned for step two next episode and step three, and we're going to go through each one of the steps, building upon one after another. This has been a great discussion. Take care. Thank you for listening to Serenity is Addictive. Until the next time we meet, keep trudging your road to happy destiny. Peace.